Welcome back to the Sully Scoop, where three lifelong Husker bros dive in-depth on all surrounding the new era of Husker football, where our cups never run dry of the roulade, under head coach Matt Rule, made by fans for fans, with J-Sol, B-Sol, and T-Sol. The Sully Scoop is the official Nebraska Cornhusker football podcast, brought to you by Big Banter. Welcome back to your favorite Cornhusker podcast. That's a Sully Scoop. You're here with J-Sol, B-Sol, and T-Sol. And joining us this week is our Michigan insider, Slats. How's it going, guys? Excited to be on again. Uh, third time, first of the year. Uh, big matchup this week, as you guys can tell. And we're ready to go. And welcome back, Slats. We're happy to have you uh, here for Michigan Game Week. Yeah, great to have you back, Slats. Some would call it Michigan Hate Week. I like it. <laughs> let's let's hope I like it at the end of the week as well. But yeah, uh, hopefully, let's... I was just gonna say, ho- hopefully, our fortunes are a little different this time now that we're not in the big house and we're back at Memorial Stadium. I mean, last time we went to Memorial Stadium, we were uh, favored, but it was a close game and. I'm just hoping for some good football like that 2021 game. Absolutely. I think everyone, they'd rather see a close game and, you know, a good game down to the wire, especially with the Husker win. But rather than, you know, some type of blowout, I mean, especially if you're at a game, you kind of want to see a competitive game. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, we've seen both sides of it the last two years, so we'll see what we get again this year. Absolutely. But before we get going into the, you know, Michigan-Nebraska game, let's dive into that Louisiana Tech-Nebraska game, which is getting the Huskers ready for this matchup. Yeah, I definitely, I I think I can start with that one, Jason. That was a perfect get-right game. Um, Nebraska struggled through the first half. Um, a lot of growing pains there still with Harburg under center. Um but he looked explosive on the ground again. Anthony Grant looked to be running like he did last year. Um, if he can hang on to the ball and if Harburg can avoid turnovers, those two could be a solid one-two punch running the ball. Um, just as long as we can uh, keep moving forward there. But Harburg looked uh, looked pretty good there. Uh, 19 carries, 157 yards on the ground and a touchdown with a 72-yard run. And could have had uh, easily another 70, 80 yards there if they weren't called back on a couple penalties by the offensive line. Well, I'll tell you what, he probably could have easily had even more than that, not even counting those ones that didn't get that got called back. It is Satterfield, and Satterfield is the issue with the Huskers offense. There is no reason this Husker team against the Louisiana Tech team went three and eleven on third down efficiency. Why did they go third down or three and eleven? It is because Satterfield set them up behind the chains. Why are you going first down after first down? You're averaging 6.5 on the ground, and all of a sudden you're dropping back to pass the ball, and you're 8 of 18 through the air. There is no reason you should be dropping back, and guess what happens when you start to drop back? All of a sudden your quarterback is getting hit because Corcoran and Ben Hart uh, are two tackles get beat by anyone we're playing so all of a sudden Harburg was getting sacked and it sets us behind the chains to where now we're relying on our passing game which again is below 50 percent for Harburg 
If you just run the ball and run it consistently, this team is a great running team. The offensive line knows how to go downhill, and there's a reason we had 312 yards on the ground. However, I believe that should have been up well over 400. Yeah, B, so I'm with Jason on this one. I think uh, Satterfield is an issue for calling plays for the Huskers. I mean, based on what I've seen, Sims When did I say he wasn't an issue? You were just kind of hinting at it that it was the perfect get right game because what I saw, I mean, maybe it boosted some Eagles in the locker room, but it definitely did no favors for me as a fan. Didn't build up any confidence for me going into Michigan. I can promise you that. When you're tied with Louisiana Tech seven to seven at halftime, that's a problem. That's a big red flag. And yes, thankfully they were ended up, ended up pulling out in the second half, twenty eight to fourteen. But I can tell you what, B. Saul. There, it didn't build confidence for me going into Michigan. Well, you came out of half and you decided that you were going to run the ball. 14 play drive, 14 straight runs. That right there is the reason that Nebraska started scoring again, was they realized they had to put the ball in Anthony Grant's hands. They had to put the ball in Harburg's hands, that you had to let the guys run the ball to make plays and get the Huskers on the board. It's growing pains. The team's still learning the offense. You got a quarterback who just started his second game ever. I'm not saying that Satterfield called a good game because I don't think he did. All I said was it was a good get-right game to get the players playing better. Well, B-Saw, here's what I got to tell you on this one. Why did it take until the second half to figure out that running is our offensive strength? Because we've been running great all season, but it seems like he forgets. Because that for offensive a half of coordinators every game. always want to have an even split. They always want to throw the ball 50% of the time and run the ball 50%. It goes back to even when Tim Beck was our offensive coordinator under Bo Pelini. You had Taylor Martinez who could throw the ball more than 10 yards unless he was throwing it off his back foot like he was a shot put thrower. It's ridiculous, but they always want to be out there and trying to throw the ball. It's a run-first offense, but every offensive coordinator doesn't get paid unless it's a flashy, high-flying offense. I would beg to differ there. Where's Tim Beck now? Not coaching, that's for sure. And where's Satterfield going to end up? The same place Tim Beck is, watching these games on his couch. Listen, the reason they're going to end up getting paid is because they're coming out of games with wins. And how do you win a game? It is like how Michigan does it, and I think Slatty can, you know, Slats is going to be able to back me up here. You run the ball, you waste the clock, you get out with the win. Who cares if it's flashy? People care more about wins. Now, Jason, I would like to point out that Tim Beck, after he left Nebraska, ended up going, taking a year off, and then he was offensive coordinator for Ohio State and then Texas. And now he is the head coach at Coastal Carolina. So, again, you went to a team who allowed you to open it up by having skill position players and a quarterback who could make the throws. And so he got paid and is now a head coach. Offensive How many championships does he have? How many championships? The ball. How many championships does he have? At Coastal Carolina, I believe that is a step down. For it to be his first head coaching gig, anybody's going to take a chance there to be a Division One coach. And what is the record currently? Uh, they are currently two and two, same as the Huskers. Uh, exactly where Satterfield belongs. Well, all I'm saying is this. From what I'm seeing, our offense is not the strength of this team. Okay? So let's just run the ball. And they're let's not flashy con- either. They ain't flashy, that's for sure. Because, you know, Harbor can't hit the bronze side of a barn, as John Mann used to say. The guy can't throw the ball. We should be an option football team with the talent that we have right now. That's what we need to do. And guess what? 
Harburg takes too many hits, guess what? Jeff Sims coming right back in because he, he can do the same thing. I don't trust him to throw the ball. And I don't trust Harburg to throw the ball. The difference between the two is Harburg hasn't thrown it to the defense quite as often as Sims. Well, I would argue that is because the teams that he was playing as, you know, Slatty, I can piggyback off of you right now because I believe you're going to say it too. Michigan hasn't played anyone all year. They played their cupcakes. Guess what? Harburg just went against our cupcakes. Sims played a lot better caliber teams. However, Michigan is just flat out a better team than the Huskers at this point. Uh, piggyback off of that. That is true. We haven't played anybody, but – like you said, this is also one of your quote-unquote cupcake games, and you guys did what you needed to do in the second half. Um, you guys went back to your roots. You guys played good run defense. You guys played good run offense. And you guys really just kind of handled what you needed to, and you guys are going to need to build off that in the coming weeks. But in the second half especially, I really liked what I saw out of that Oscar offense. You really just didn't – you minimized mistakes and just kind of capitalized on that run offense when it was running downhill. Yeah, so takeaway for me is Anthony Grant is, again, the man coming into the Big Ten play. You know, now he shouldn't have any competition at the top. So against Michigan, we're going to need to see just heavy Anthony Grant again, and hopefully Emmett Johnson can help spell him on different plays. That's what we need to see because we know our defense is coming in, and they're going to be tough, and they're going to play tough and physical. So we just need our offense to keep up their physical play to, you know, help the defense stay physical the entire game by spelling them and giving them breaks. Now, if we're shifting to the uh, Michigan game there already, T, um, we need to be prepared for Anthony DeGrant to get a couple spells. We need Emmett Johnson to be doing good. Rumor is uh, Joshua Fleeks has been taking a lot of reps this week as a running back um, to kind of run some scat back and really take that Ramir Johnson role away. Anthony Grant still has those fumbling issues and God forbid in the first half, if he puts one on the ground, what if he puts two on the ground? We can't keep just turning back to him because he's our best running back there. If he's not hanging onto the ball in the game, we're going to need to turn elsewhere and it's going to be, what else can we do? Whether that's putting Sims in to run the ball, putting Hardberg in to run the ball. You know, somebody else is going to have to step up if Anthony Grant struggles to hold on to the ball early. Well, I don't think that uh, Matt Rule is going to be making that quick of a decision. He didn't even make that quick of a decision when, you know, Jeff Sims was turning the ball over. He wouldn't go to Harburg, who at this point, Harburg is the better quarterback because he isn't turning the ball over. And he's the only quarterback sitting at 2-0 and and actually is the only quarterback to have won a game this year. You so just I'm not made sure. the argument that Harburg played our two cupcakes and Sims opened up against two power five teams learning a whole new offense under a new head coach. Okay, that doesn't change the fact that uh, Matt Rule did not want to make the call to switch it at that point during the game. He was just going to let it ride. That's because you don't pull the plug on your best quarterback. That's what you're just saying. So our best running back at this point is Anthony Grant, and you're just telling me but you're going to pull the plug on him. But there's a reason Anthony Grant opened the season up as your third running back. At He's this point, is he your best years. running back? At this point, is he your best running back? I would argue he is. But he's not light years ahead of Emmett Johnson. Running backs would, are a lot different than the quarterback position. Well, clearly not. Clearly not that different. If Harburg's going out there and getting wins, they have about the same, you know, QBR. You and just said when we opened percentage. up, Jeff Sims would have won these two games. So what's he probably would have. He should have. At this point, he should have. These are games you should win. 
I think Harburg would have given us a better opportunity against uh, Minnesota because Harburg is not turning the ball over like Jeff Sims was. Harburg's thrown a couple passes that should have been picked that were just were dropped they? or overthrown. Maybe that's just because he throws a worse ball. So, I mean, when it's Adam, they're not going to catch him. Who cares? At the same point, he didn't turn the ball over, and he came out of two games with wins, controlled the ball, and he ran it. That is what Jeff Sims is not doing. Jeff Sims looks to throw the ball. When we have all seen it, he is a runner. Are you going to go ahead and argue that he's a passer there, Biso? Because we could pull up his uh, interceptions. I'm not arguing that he's a passer. I'm not arguing that he's a runner. I'm just trying to figure out why you're saying all of a sudden he's throwing the ball more than Harburg or he's he did. run the ball less. He ran the ball less than Harburg through two yes. games. Yes. He had 30 so carries right. to Harburg's 42. Correct. However, Harburg's thrown the ball 47 times and Sims has thrown it 34 times. So the yeah, offense is still leaning on Harburg to throw the why ball. Why is that? Why is that? Because Jeff Sims' drives ended early because he's either fumbling the ball or throwing interceptions. Jeff Sims, his drives would only be two two plays. They didn't even get a first down. They didn't even get a chance to punt the ball because Jeff Sims was turning the ball over. That is why Harburg has had more opportunities to throw the ball, more opportunities to run the ball. However, if you go look at the percentage that he has thrown the ball compared to running the ball, Jeff Sims has thrown it more. So, Jason, well, who starts? who starts this game? I think you got to go with Harburg. You got to go with the winning hand and the guy that's going to be sure-handed to hold on to the football. Well, Jay, well, so I, I'll tell you that it's not like we haven't seen the last of Jeff Sims. I mean, he's going to be out on the either. field again. I'm not saying we have either. I think you got to go with the sure hand at this point, but as soon as Harburg starts, you know, he turns the ball over, get Sims out there. Don't just sit on it and let it happen. That's exactly what Matt Rule did week one and Week two with Jeff throws a pick Sims. But, but I don't think early in the season they knew they thought I don't think they thought that Harburg knew the offense as well as he clearly showed he did in the last two games. But to sit exactly here and say that Harburg Harburg's not very sure-handed either. He's 51% completion. He's got three fumbles on the season, only lost one of them. But it's not like he's out there and just hanging onto the ball like he's never gonna turn it over. We've got two turnover-prone quarterbacks. So you want to know what Harburg has done? He's come away with two wins. And this is, again, why I am questioning the coaching staff. If they did not know that Harburg was ready to even play yet, why was he in these games? Why are why is he the one coming out with the wins? Why is it, you know, surprising to him? It's because they are not good coaches. Satterfield is an awful offensive coordinator. And I don't know why you You're, are out You are talking up beating two teams that you should have beaten. Yeah, That's I'm not. It. I'm saying I'm literally no, saying Satterfield are. is a terrible offensive coordinator. Are you going to argue that Satterfield's a good coach? Jay, so I how much can you pump this guy's was. ego? Satterfield I'm, ain't that good, and you keep pumping the guy's ego like he's the best offensive coordinator in the country. He's pumping his, Who's been pumping Satterfield's ego? Tsol. Tsol has. I I don't think either person in this argument has been saying Satterfield's <laughs> a good offensive coordinator. But he's the worst coach arguing... in college football that I've seen as an offensive coordinator. This guy is pathetic. Oh, he is yeah. worse than Clemson's offensive coordinator who lost Clemson the game against Florida State, if you did not catch that game. I, If you go look at the highlights, you're not going to see that guy's calls except for a few interceptions and throwing it on fourth and one when you should run the ball. And it was third and one at that point, too, that he threw the ball. Satterfield is awful. You got to know what kind of players you have. You got to know the, you know, 
the depth you have. You got to know everything. Clearly, Harburg is not a passer. And I could have told you, Jeff Sims is also not a passer. Run the damn ball. Get out with the win. Hold on to the ball. If you're not going to hold on to the ball, grab some pine. I think we all agree that they're both running quarterbacks. But to sit here and tell me that Harburg's a winning hand, he beat a MAC team and he beat a Conference USA team. Jeff Sims could have done that in his sleep. <laughs> That's why he did it week one and week two. Jeff Sims could turn the ball Against over in his sleep. Against a Big Ten and a Pac-12 opponent. Jeff versus Sims a could Mac throw a pick in his sleep. USA. Jeff Sims could throw an interception animals. in his sleep. Jeff Sims could throw an interception in his sleep. I just want you to remember that because he's done I, it a few times. If you had Harburg out there against Colorado or against Minnesota, the result would have been the same. I disagree. I don't think it would have been the same against Minnesota. Against Colorado, maybe, because uh, Satterfield would have been out there calling for a lot of passes. The play still would have been the same calls there. No, they would not. The play calling has changed since uh, Harburg has taken over, and I do think they're just as bad. Well, B-Saw, what I got to tell you is I doubt that Jeff Sims will roll out this game as the starter unless Harbaugh is too injured to run out there because I don't think that having uh, Sims run out there against Michigan as his welcome back party is going to go very well and going to help that guy's confidence at all. I think this is a sit Jeff Sims out at all costs, and if Harburg is banged up, you probably look to Purdy because if Sims is your guy for the rest of this season and next year, I mean – Playing him against Michigan when he already has zero confidence in his play is not going to help him. He's all I would agree. However, if Sims comes out of camp or out of practice this week and he's a hundred percent, they're going to start Sims. That's the coaching staff. Uh, that's this coaching staff's mo. However, realistically, I don't think we see Sims until Northwestern. I think Harburg's got the next two games. He's got Michigan which I think is going to be a real tough task for him to do. And then he'll have Illinois on a short, short week. I think they're going to give Jeff Sims that bye week to get healthy before Northwestern. I could definitely see that. And I would be on board with that real uh, honestly, because I don't think that trotting a guy out like Sims against Michigan is going to help him or the team in any way, shape, or form. I think you got to roll with Harburg and just kind of take the punches as they happen, in a sense. Correct. And, Jason, I just have a quick question. So what happens if Harburg comes Jay out Sol, and wins this game? You still flipping it to Jeff Sims? I don't think you flip it to Jeff Sims if the team wins Michigan, and he's the deciding factor. No, However, if they just I am win, curious. if they just win, and if he isn't Jay, so deciding factor, said, but they come the out play with a win. No, let's go back because you said Satterfield has changed the play calling since Sims went out. Correct? You yes, made how that, many you runs made does Harburg have? How many runs does okay. Harburg have, and how many runs does Sims have? Okay, let's let's just take a look at this last game real quick for you. Harburg threw against Louisiana Tech seventeen pass attempts and ran the ball nineteen times. I'm going to flip it back to you here. Because against Minnesota, Jeff Sims threw the ball 19 times and ran the ball 19 times. Sounds sounds like a pretty similar play call there for uh, No, the it's actually not. That is actually two more passes Sims had. And don't mind you that he also had interceptions and fumbles that game as well. He probably would have had more passes if he had the ball longer. I would disagree that he would have had more 
pass attempts. He probably would have had more run at, rushing attempts there because none of the running backs were really able to get anything going against Minnesota. It was well, it's hard to get Jeff something Sims. going. It's exactly it was all Jeff Sims turning the ball over. It's hard to get your running backs, you know, going downhill when all your quarterback. I'm, is I'm doing just is telling you the ball between the, the two team. quarterbacks, Jason, the play calling hasn't changed. Satterfield is still calling the same type of plays for these two quarterbacks, which is the reason that Harburg is ahead of Purdy on the depth chart. And that's because Purdy does not run the same style offense that the other two do. Uh, Purdy has a better QBR than both of them. Uh, Purdy does not have a better QBR than the two of them. Purdy has yet to complete a pass on the season. His QBR was 53.5 in that last game there, B-Saw. And what was Harburg's? Um, on the season, Purdy's 26, uh, passer 26. rating is 0.9. 26.9. Purdy's passer rating is zero on the season. His QBR in the last game was a 53.5. Well, Jay, you sound, so, a, little, you sound a little angry because we were going at Jeff Sims there. You're your so-called guy who's turning the ball over three times each game he's put. Himself. This is the guy who picked him to win Heisman. That was lingering on the, you know, B-Cell's predictions for the year and how the season was going to go. Now, I have, after week one, T-Cell, I jumped off of that train. And, you know, Slats, what would you do in this situation? You got a quarterback that is not turning the ball over and has come out with two wins, yes, against lesser opponents. However, you have a quarterback that went against two power fives to start the year against, you know, on the road, new new system, new coach. Who would you flip and go with right now? Um, rolling into this week, you're obviously going to have to stick with a more healthy quarterback in Harburg right now. He's going to give you the most sure shot of having a chance in this game. But moving forward, um, I see a lot more potential in Sims just with the athletic ability and kind of his more more experience. Um, so right now I'd stick with Harburg. But as the season rolls on, and obviously we'll see – how the record and how the season's going, but Sims definitely isn't a bad option from a potential standpoint. What's one thing that a lot of people do not actually know, by the way, Sims is has a lot more elusiveness, I would say, but in the 40-yard dash, Harburg is actually faster. He was a state champ in Nebraska when he was in high school for the 100-meter dash. Where was Sims? Georgia? You're right, not you're Georgia, also, not the state champion, and I think it's you know when Harper gets behind somebody, nobody, nobody, it wasn't a state champ, and that's that's up to you to decide, I guess. There, T. So that's not up to me to decide. So you're coming at the Corn Boys of Nebraska and telling them they aren't fast to compare to Georgia. No, no way. <laughs> the <laughs> other side too is you're talking about running track versus running down a field in pads. Two completely different things. I believe in the last game they clocked him at 22 miles an hour running down, and nobody was catching him once he got beyond him. I'll tell you this, Jason. He's not Trey Palmer fast. I never said he was Trey Palmer fast. I would say Trey Palmer was not only fast, but he also had the elusiveness. Well, either way, the quarterback run is one of our best plays, so we got to stick with it, and we got to see a heavy dose of quarterback keeps and running back runs because – we're not going to be beating Michigan through the air. 
Well, that's not what Bissell wants to see. Bissell wants to see a heavy dose of the past because he wants to have a 50-50 split, at least to be flashy. Well, Bissell will see a lot of three and outs then. They won't be three and outs. They'll be one and outs because we're throwing interceptions. Nobody's out here asking Nebraska to throw the ball. All I'm telling you is that Satterfield is going to continue to try and run a 50-50 split on the offense because that's what college offensive coordinators do. Matt Rule needs to take control of the team, take control of the offense, and run the ball. Michigan's run defense is number two in the Big Ten behind Nebraska, and Nebraska needs to control the game, control the clock, and control the tempo if they want to stand a chance in this game. Okay, I think we can just flip it off of this Louisiana Tech game. I mean, we got the win. We should have beat them. Should have been by more. Shouldn't have been tied at half. Yes, we all agree. I think we got to dive into this Michigan game now that we're pretty much talking about it. I We got to – what is Michigan's, you know, biggest thing they're bringing in? What is the way – how is – how does Michigan beat the Huskers here, Slats? Um, just got to stay the course with that run. I was looking at uh, Nebraska's stats. They're one of the top teams in rushing defense right now. But this is going to be really a true test for Michigan's running game and their offensive line game. Um, going into these last three games, they've been easy games, but they've stayed the course. They've stayed with their plan of action, and they've ran the ball uh, consistently in each game. Uh, we have our two running backs, Blake Corm, Donovan Edwards. Uh, you're going to see a heavy dosage of Blake Corm and Donovan Edwards throughout that game. And we're really going to hand it off to the defense, and it's going to be a true test to see with obviously Nebraska running it most of the time. We're going to see how that run defense holds up against a run-heavy team. Yeah. So that's I'm with you. I expect, I expect Michigan to be run-heavy, and I expect Nebraska to be run-heavy. I mean, this is going to be a game that with the, the new rule of the running clock after first downs, it's it's going to feel like a light speed kind of game. I would be shocked if this game makes it past, we'll say, 5 o'clock. I'd, I'd be shocked. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, you look at these last three, four games from Michigan, um, a lot of people have been saying they haven't put up a lot of points. A lot of people have been saying they, oh, they haven't covered the spread like last year. But when you look at it with these new rules, I mean, they're running two times a down. And when you're running seven, eight, nine, ten times a possession, that clock's going to dwindle down. And it's going to be five, six, seven-minute drives when you're running down the field, running like Michigan has. So you're going to see a lot of long drives from both teams. And you're going to see that clock just churn quarter after quarter definitely this is gonna be two run heavy offenses coming into this game especially but what i think is going to set this game apart is you know michigan's passing attack uh, compared to nebraska's passing attack i think you know it's going to be our d line is going to be i i truly think our d line is going to be able to stuff stuff the run to a certain extent but at a certain point i don't think they're going to be able to get the pressure when they go into a pass blocking situation and get to J.J. McCarthy as he's an older guy, been there, played. He's going to be able to feel comfortable in the pocket and be able to find a guy. However, running the 3-3-5 may come as a struggle in the first half at least. Yeah, I could see that being the case. Um, like you said, uh, that first half is definitely going to be a struggle for Michigan as it has all year. Uh, Michigan has definitely been a second-half team both on offense and defense. 
uh, especially with Jim Harbaugh coming back. Uh, this is going to be his second game and first on the road this year. Um, in the first half against the Rutgers, our last game, we gave up a touchdown on the first drive. But if you look at the second half stats for Michigan this year, they've only given up an average of two and a half points in the second half. So the second half adjustments are going to be key for Michigan to keep this game in check. And Slats, I feel like we're living a day in repeat. I feel like you told us the exact same story last year. And guess what? That's exactly what happened, except for, you know, they started to turn around before the half ended against Nebraska. But that's what Harbaugh does, and that's what Michigan's M.O. is. And so that's what you expect coming into the game is Jim Harbaugh knows how to make adjustments heading into halftime. They couldn't have said it better. Typically, Jim Harbaugh is heading into half, though, with the lead on the road here. If Michigan say they're down by a field goal or something, I mean, I'm not putting money that our field goal kicker is great by any standards. He's better than what we were last year. But if, you know, Nebraska is to go into half at home leading, I don't know how, but they could be leading if they were to. Do you think that's going to change, you know, Michigan's MO or their game plan when they come out of the second half, into the second half? Do you think that changes their game plan going forward? Because, you know, in the first half, 95% of the plays are already scripted. Do you think it, it changes what they're going to be doing. Um, That could definitely change things. Obviously, we haven't been in that situation yet this year. But um, like you said, obviously, Nebraska is going to be looking to run the ball. So coming out of that second half, if they have a lead, they're going to have the ball in their hands and they're going to be doing what they want to do. They're going to be running the ball. The ball is going to be in their court and we're going to have to find a way to stop them. So that'd be definitely interesting to see if Nebraska comes out with a lead in that second half. Yeah, I, I don't think that Nebraska would therefore be able to run it down their throat. I mean, Michigan still has one of the top, you know, rushing defenses. And I'm not saying our, you know, passing offense is good by any standards. So I think Michigan's defense would be able to, you know, hold up. Do you think it would change Michigan's offensive approach to where they go more pass happy? Um, I don't think they would go to a pass first offense unless they were down by at least a touchdown or two. I mean, if you look at some of their games last year when they trailed, they trailed Rutgers at the half. They came out. They still ran it down their throat. They trailed um, – let's see. They trailed Illinois at half. They still went to a run-first offense. The only time they really changed their offense for anybody was against TCU, and they were down by multiple scores in that game. Yeah, that's a yeah. fair point, Slats. And, and com- coming into this game, like you have two pretty tough defense, especially run defenses. I mean, Michigan has a better pass defense than uh, Nebraska does, but besides the point, you have two pretty tough defenses coming in and two teams that love to run the football. So I would expect to see a lot of punts because I don't think either team is going to want to switch off of what they like to do because as soon as they, as soon as Nebraska's like, hey, we're going to start, you know, pass, 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 now you're out in three plays versus, you know, getting a couple first downs and maybe putting it midfield. Same thing with Michigan. With uh, their um, need to run the football, Nebraska's, you know, one of the best run defenses in the country. I think right now they're number one. So I expect that to happen up until, you know, third, fourth quarter, and then somebody's going to have to try and make a move at that point. Yeah, but I yeah, agree I with think you. Oh, sorry. I agree with you there. Um, I think definitely the key for Nebraska is going to be if they get to those third downs and they're looking to make a stop, they're going to have to either get to the quarterback or make something happen. Uh, in the secondary 
because uh, we still have J.J. McCarthy. He's going to be able to run it on those third downs or he's going to be able to air it out. So they're going to need to find a way to either get to him or make something happen on their feet in the secondary. And that's that's kind of what I'm thinking as well. I think Michigan um, at the quarterback position with J.J. McCarthy, I mean, he's been there before. He's read defenses. He struggled a little bit against TCU with that 3-3-5 which might bode well. It gives Nebraska a little bit of film to watch from last year to see how uh, J.J. was able to read the defense and kind of play off of that as well. Uh, But I think this is going to come down to who can get that first big play to take the lead, whether that's, you know, a deep shot that goes, um, you know, for 40, 50 yards and puts you in the red zone or a 60-yard run or 70 yard run whoever gets that first big play and puts them up whether that's up by an extra score or just up it puts that defense in the driving driver's spot to really lock in and do what they do best yeah i agree with you there and uh playing off of that obviously if you look at the 2021 game which wasn't too long ago uh nebraska was in the driver's seat for most of that game uh if you look adrian martinez he had just about 300 passing yards and that rushing attack averaged over four yards a carry. So they were really in the driver's seat with both aspects of the ball and they really had Michigan on their toes. So if they're looking to take a chance here, obviously they're going to need to go out of their comfort zone and they're going to need to make a couple of those big time plays to put them up and put them in the driver's seat. Absolutely. It'll be interesting because Harburg did have a few, you know, breakaway runs last week. I mean, it, it was against Louisiana Tech, but that I, to me, that's where the game is going to be. One for Nebraska is the rushing attack. And if you can break through this Michigan defense, who is averaging only giving up 80 yards a game. However, you know, I could see the downfall for the Huskers is going to be the Michigan's offense in the passing attack as the Huskers. That is the worst part of their defense is the pass yards allowed per game. Yes, that is kind of skewed because of the Colorado game and, Obviously, Michigan does not have Colorado's receiver talent out there or, or you know, the quarterback or the quarterback. Yeah. I was getting there to So now do I think this, their quarterback can handle the pressure like J.J. McCarthy? No, because he hasn't played a big games like that. But he does have the talent out there to throw the ball a mile. And his receivers are the best athletes on the field when they take the field. So I think it bodes well kind of for the Huskers in that aspect. However, I do think Michigan's passing attack is a lot better than our passing defense. Yeah, Jason, I'll piggyback on that one. I agree with you that Nebraska playing against Colorado, they definitely played the most firepower offense that they're going to see all season. Nobody in the Big Ten is going to be able to do that. The closest team might be Maryland, I would say, just because of their quarterback, but he still doesn't come anywhere near Sanders. So, I would say that they got a true fire test for their defense. The problem is, since you're not going to see it anymore in the Big Ten, is it all pointless at that point? You know, wouldn't would you rather be more tested for the run game because that's what the Big Ten teams are going to do for you? And yes, they did get tested against Minnesota, but after watching Minnesota lose to Northwestern, how battle tested are you? And we're going to find out on Saturday. Yeah, T-Saw, the only thing I could say that I kind of agree with you there on is that Maryland is definitely going to be the best uh, passing offense that we have coming up 
for the rest of the year. And I do want to say that you were right on your hot take as who would be the best quarterback this far throughout the season. It is definitely to his brother. Again, we're still not giving him a name till he does it throughout the year. Entire season that his name will be recognized. Well, Jaso, I got to say, it feels good for you. It feels good for me to hear you say that. And that's not the only thing that T-Soul was correct upon. If I you said recall, you are right thus far. I didn't say correct the entire way thus far. And But you know what? I'm taking that as a win, and I'm also taking that Northwestern victory over Minnesota. As you recall, I called that shot, that hot shot, with my friend here on my shoulder, and Biso ripped me apart on that call. Absolutely, but I do want to say you were right thus far again on that take, Tiso. These are two hot takes that you've had. We are only halfway throughout the year. Tua would have to his brother, rather, would have to stay at the top of the board for Maryland, I for the Big Ten, rather, as the best quarterback in the Big Ten. And we're only we're not even into Big Ten play, so we have yet to see that. And the you know, the Northwestern hot take. P.J. Fleck has to get fired by the end of the year for that one to even come true. You know, you add on to your hot takes a little too much to be right. Well, Jay, no. so it's not just me. It's my buddy here on the shoulder, and he has a name. His name is called, or his name is Mr. Mousker. All right? And hold on. He's he's telling me something real quick. What's that? Oh, he said he called his shot with Northwestern knocking off Minnesota. And what's that? He's awaiting PJ Fleck and his pink slip. That's what he's saying. He's got now, he's also got another hot take coming later in this episode for those of you scoopers who are excited for that. Now, I know we're uh we're poking fun here at TSOL, and in all honesty, not a lot of people pick Northwestern to beat Minnesota. And I don't even think TSOL bet on that game this week. So, you know, it's hard to hard to say that he really believed in that hot take. But another one that he had locked in was re- related to the Purdue Boilermakers, saying that Devin Mockaby would have 14 touchdowns on the season. He also stated that Devin Mockaby would have more touchdowns than Gabe Irvin. So those two kind of go in hand in hand. I do have to say, Mr. Mockaby does have more touchdowns than Gabe Irvin, with Gabe being out the rest of the season. However, he only has two touchdowns on the season so far, T-Sol. That 14 number seems like an awful long way to go. Do you think he'll still get there? Uh, hold, hold on a second. He said he didn't pick that one. <laughs> no, so that one it's just unlikely he's going to get 14. <laughs> that one just came straight for me. But then again, you were right on half of your hot take. T-Sol... Tiso's hot takes, you want to bet on half of them, not the full thing ever. Oh, the full ones are coming, Jason. Trust me. I still don't understand how you think that Minnesota has a shot in the West after this. Listen, I never said they had a shot anymore. That is who I opened up against. And, you know, it was a big brain move at the start of the season, you know. But I had to stick with it once it kept going. No, it was a big brain because why? I was betting on the Huskers myself to beat Minnesota. Therefore, I could have done an easy, quick, easy flip to who was going to be my front runner to win the West. And you want to know what? 
I still have made that flip. Minnesota is out for the West. They still got to play Michigan and Ohio State. They are not going to win the West. I have made my flip, and my decision is going to be I am riding with B-Cell. Now, as Chazzy would say, following B-Cell has let us off a few cliffs. But this one, I am going to be riding with B-Cell here, and I have a strong feeling we will be riding through the valley here very shortly with the Huskers taking the West. Jason, weren't aren't you calling for Matt Rule to be fired? So how do you expect him to be fired and the Huskers to win the West? That's not nope. I am not calling for Matt Rule to Jaisal be fired. Jason got I off Satterfield that fire. To be fired. Matt Rule train I want Satterfield last stop to be fired. Louisiana Tech. So Jason, after beating Northwestern and Louisiana Tech, that's enough to convince you to get off of a fire rule train. Tesol's already given us a Big Ten win, and I'm here for it. Listen, listen. Whoever's going to win the West is going to have three or four losses. And looking at the schedule, I think the Huskers, you know, I'm going to ride or die with them at this point. You know, they go into a week, I'm going to ride or die. So this is going to be our second Big Ten loss coming up. And I think you could win out the rest of the way. Do I think that's going to happen? Probably not. But that's why I think the Big Ten West champ is going to have three or four losses. And I think the Huskers are going to stack up very well. And at this point, I don't think it's going to be Iowa. Iowa just got shut out. Do I think Iowa's offense is all of a sudden magically going to turn around? No. Do I think Wisconsin is all that great? No. They just lost, or they just beat Purdue. Who was Purdue? Exactly. That's another win on the Huskers' schedule. And then you got Illinois, and Illinois has barely beaten Toledo. Wisconsin has lost to Washington State. The West is wide open at this point. Well, Jace, I'll tell you, if you're picking new horses to jump on, Wisconsin would be the easy one to pick right now. They got the easiest schedule in the West out of teams who are actually going to compete. That's the one to ride with. They already have a Big Ten win against Purdue. It's more than what you could say about anybody else. Well, that is now, not more than you could say about anybody else. Yeah, that's a little uh, blatant disrespect there to uh, Northwestern and Minnesota, both who have a Big Ten win as well in the West. And both also have a Big Ten loss as well. Well, I do want you to know. So you're you, now you're locking in that Wisconsin is going to be winning the West. No longer Illinois. I could promise you it's clear as day it's not going to be Illinois. Okay, well, let me give you this. Wisconsin still has to take on Ohio State. And they still have to play a Northwestern team that just beat Minnesota. They end with Woo-hoo. Minnesota. And they still take on Illinois and Iowa. And they are at Illinois and at Minnesota. I didn't even bring up the IU game. You also skipped the Nebraska game, but who's counting? Well, at this point, that might be the one that wins the West. So you're jumping off the Nebraska one onto the Wisconsin one now? No, I never even said that. I am not flipping that quick. I might ride with the Huskers. I might ride with the Huskers for a week before I flip again, but I am riding with them for a week. Jay, so the difference for me right now is the fact that Iowa plays at Wisconsin. That's the difference for me right now, and not picking Iowa to win the West because I can promise you this: a team it's not that Purdue. just got shut out is not going to win the West. Why they? Play I don't Penn care. State. I don't care who they played. You Illinois should. scored thirteen points on Penn State. So what? So that would tell me right there <laughs> that Illinois can score more points than Iowa. They gave Maybe them about so. the same amount of points, and Illinois outscored Iowa. So T-Cell, here's what I'm going to do. Let me give you my step ladder. 
So are you, you jumping out of the chief of line, I wick? No, so that you can climb up that stepladder right back into Brian Farron's ass, and you can tell him that he needs to score more points than zero. Visa, I'm not picking Iowa. I just told you that my easy pick you for just the West said you right now is Wisconsin. Them if they were playing in Wisconsin, I wouldn't pick Iowa, even if they were the only team undefeated in the Big Ten at this point. Well, then you'd just be mad because then you're just arguing with facts. Well, T, so before you lock in who you got winning the West, I do you want to ask your, your friend? This guy? Mr. Mousker? He only gives hot takes. He doesn't tell T-Soul how to, how to pick games. Yeah, and he doesn't even have a name till one of his hot takes comes to reality. But, Slatty, I got to know, who do you have winning the West at this point in this season? Right now, obviously, it's the wild, wild West, but I'm going to have to pick Wisconsin, pretty square pick. But they do have one of the easier schedules rolling out in the West right now, and they kind of have everything in front of them. They have – a Rutgers game at home that's very winnable. They have an Iowa game at home that's very winnable. A Not team. so fast there, Slatty. Oh, Not so fast. You're going to come out here and tell me that this Rutgers team is not special, not one that could, you know, go into Madison and take off Wisconsin and the Badgers. This Rutgers team is averaging 324 yards. And – Mind you, they are three and one to start the year with a win against Northwestern, who just beat Minnesota. Jason Rutgers might end the year with three wins. Don't forget that uh, Wisconsin also just lost Chaz Malusi for the rest of the season as well with a broken fibula. I do think this Wisconsin team, regardless of this Rutgers game, I think they handle the rest of their games. Um, I think, obviously, that Ohio State game is going to be a loss, but I think they at least drop maybe one or two of those games and still end up winning the West. Yeah, the the only way I don't see Wisconsin winning the West is if they lose that Iowa game or the Nebraska game is really what it's going to come down to. And Nebraska hasn't beaten Wisconsin since – Gosh, what was it, 2016? So that's what we're fighting against. New coaches, new year, new systems. It's a whole new ball game here for you, T-Saw. No, sorry. I think it's actually 2012 is the last time we beat Wisconsin. I think I was even, even a little high on that. Even we more play them every year, J-Saw. Even more important because it's a new coach on the Wisconsin sideline. And this coach, rather, used to coach at Ohio State and actually is the reason the Huskers have hold now the biggest comeback in history in the Big Ten for the Huskers and against Ohio State, rather, too. Well, I just got some information from Mr. Mousker. He said to just throw out everything you just said. He's saying, we're not talking Wisconsin. We're talking about Michigan. And he said Nebraska by 10. He's got three takeaways for Nebraska in this game. He says Michigan is going to catch a sleeping giant. They're sleepwalking into a game they're not suspecting. And Nebraska is going to win the West and play Ohio State in the Big Ten Championship. And all media is going to turn off a Deion Sanders and head to Lincoln with Matt Rule. Mr. Mousker is shooting shots here. Mr. Mouseker might be a little fired up after his last prediction of Minnesota and 
Northwestern, but I think he's just riding his high a little too high right now. Um, hold on, guys. I'm I'm getting a phone call here. One sec. Yeah, what's that? Mister Mouskier stole my picks on on the season, and he locked them in for Tiso. That's that's fine. Let's get another guy on the bandwagon here. It sounds like Tiso over there has been looking at my sheet from my preseason picks. However, I did not have the Huskers beating Michigan by ten. But it sounded like the rest of that was pretty through uh, true to fruition there on what I picked. But uh, I think it's going to be a tight game what's here. That? It should be a Wait, uh, what's good that? game. Mr. Mousker just called you a baby. Well, he's lucky I'm not there because I throw that rat out the window. Well, I'm not sure I'm going to lock in Nebraska by 10. But Mr. Mousker, as Slat said, he's, he's riding high with his – Northwestern over Minnesota take, and he's looking to cash out big time. Well, he might want to try to cash out that bet as soon as the Huskers take the lead if they start with a ball, because I do not see that one coming into fruition there for uh, Mr. Bowsker, I guess. But I do see, you know, this being a close game going into half, but I think, you know, Michigan's going to end up pulling away. How about you guys? Uh, what do you define as pulling away there, Jay Sulf? Well, not pulling away by the spread. I have already locked that in. I think the Huskers are going to cover the points and lose by less than 17 and a half, but I think it's going to end up being a 24 to 13 game. Yeah, I see, yeah. I see the Huskers uh, breaking 20 points here, Jay. So I got them scoring 21 um, with Michigan sitting at uh, 28 points. Uh, could easily be 31 there, uh, but I don't see it being more than a 10-point game. And neither does Mr. Mouser. He just has the 10 points in Nebraska's favor. But for my picks, I am looking at Michigan to win this ball game by the score of 20 to 10. So I'm actually opposite of Mr. Mouser. I have Michigan by 10 in my game, in my picks. Uh, for my prediction, I could see this game getting a little close in the first half, but I see Michigan pulling away in the second half. I have a 31 to 7 prediction. That sounds a little outrageous there, Slatty, with this type of defense for the Huskers. However, I could agree with, you know, the seven points for the Huskers. This offense is nothing special and has nothing going for it other than the run. So that is where the game is going to be won and lost for me and what the play calling looks like for the Huskers. Yeah, the only way I see Michigan scoring in the 30s is if Nebraska starts turning the ball over. Like if Nebraska turns the ball over two or three times, I think, you know, Michigan will be sitting at 30, maybe 30 plus, maybe they'll be in the forties, but that's kind of my prediction for that one. I, I don't think that they'll break 30. They could be sitting right at 29 and you might claim that as a victory, but I would also claim that as a victory. Did you, didn't you just give your prediction of 30 to 20, 20 to 10. Gotcha. He's already changing his picks. <laughs> Roll the tape. Well, thanks for joining us for another week of the Sully Scoop. You're here with J-Sull. B-Sull. And T-Sull. And we want to give a special thanks to our Michigan insider, Slatty. Thanks again, guys. Always a fun time being on the Scoop. And uh, glad to be back. And hopefully we'll be back again soon in the near future. Absolutely. Yeah, great to have on, Slatty. Yep, thank you for coming on. We look forward to, you know, having you back on here and, you know, saying go Big Red. But uh, don't forget you can follow us and 
on Twitter at Sully underscore scoop. And you can catch this podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts, Apple, Spotify, and YouTube or anywhere else. Go Big Red.